walking like trees, men, people walking like trees. What an interesting, again, every week we look at Jesus and his interactions with some people and it's surprising, it's a little odd, not everything exactly makes obvious sense. I love this about the Bible and I love this about Jesus. He is, he's not exactly predictable in the way that he acts and what he does. And so what I'd like us to do is we're going to dig into this a little bit. And to begin, I'm going to ask you to do a bit of work, since I've done some work for this. <laughs> so you can do some work as well. So what I'd like us to do for the next few minutes is turn to the person next to you or group up with a couple of people and look at the parallels, look for the parallels between the first story and the second story. So the parallels between the healing of the blind man and the parallels between that and Peter declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. Have a look at those two incidents. So one, a parallel, yes? I think the first one that um, we, we, we notice is that in the first story, there's a point of, of clarity. clarity. And thought there were three that are upside down. Then he saw clearly, then he realized that there were two things. And the second story, you have a similar thing happening. Peter realizes you are the Messiah. Clarification in both both incidents. Yeah, yeah Bill. Both at the end of both bits, it's almost the same thing. Don't even go into the village. Mm. And don't tell anybody about. Okay. Don't go. Don't tell. Yeah. All right. A warning. Yeah. Okay. What else? What else do we see? Parallels. Uh, I. Um, just the fact that Christ Jesus had to ask them uh, specific questions. It, it was more he just tried to help them to take. Um, he asked the disciples, who do people say I am? He asked the man, what do you see? Uh, it's one of Peter to think not just what people say, but what they have said, what what has been revealed to them. Yeah, it's very good. Jesus asking a question in both of those stories. Any, uh, and that's surprising in that culture. Yeah. So firstly, it's the only time in the whole of the Gospels that Jesus ever asks someone about their healing. He doesn't ask them any other time. And, and with the disciples, rabbis never asked their disciples questions. The disciples asked their rabbis questions, and then the rabbi would teach. So this is a reversal of what we normally see. So an interesting thing. Okay, any other parallels? Can you read the case when you've done for the crowd? In both situations, you could leave them outside village. Yeah. You want to go back to this return section, we talk about that. About why not? Why not go and talk about it? Very possibly. Yes, not for show and, and as a protection to them and I think also for the focus of his ministry because he needed to get to Jerusalem eventually and not be uh, stopped on the way. So both situations we have taking away to somewhere private, I suppose. Okay, anything else? Any other para parallels? between these two. Uh, yeah? So, 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 so,
There's an opening. And, and you can add to that that there's, a, there's a two stages for both, in a way. There's, a man has his eyes partially healed in fully, and then the disciples get the answer sort of right, part right. John the Baptist, Elijah, a prophet. And then Peter comes up with the complete answer, Messiah. So it's, there are two stages of insight, or you could say. Um, okay, I think those are the main parallels. Unless you've seen some I haven't. You may well. Uh, any others? What's that? Decapolis. Decapolis. Uh-huh. Declaration. Uh-huh. Not the time to declare. Not the time to declare. Okay, so we've got a, so both situations. There's a bit like what you were saying, Barry. There's, the, there's a time to spread the word and there's a time to withhold. Okay. I think, yeah, go ahead. There's also, um, Jesus has to, just mentioned it, though Jesus um, does the action twice, the blind man. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> My belief is that, as we, as we all know, that Christ wouldn't have necessarily needed to do the action twice to heal the person. So, um, sorry. But there's, there's, Go ahead. there's yeah. a bit in between why he's doing that. There's a reason he's doing that. Mm-hmm. He's good at building for a part, isn't yeah, yeah. Just the once. But he goes out of his way to do the action twice with no opportunity in between his question. He's just got but isn't that an amazing thing? You're right. So, okay, tell you what, let's 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 stop on that thought for a moment. Let's hang on, let's, let's stay with that thought for a minute. Because I think we need to ask ourselves, why why would Jesus do this? Given that he was perfectly capable of healing from afar or with one touch, or I mean, you know, he, he had all the powers at his disposal. So why, why only deliberately, and I think it, we have to assume this, it's not stated in the text, but I think it's a reasonable assumption, he deliberately partially healed a blind man. Why would you do that? Or why, well, not why would you do it. Why, why, might, why might Jesus do that? Any thoughts? Well, sometimes it seems it's really working. Sometimes that's what you're passing on the planet, isn't it? And if we just Could be. Could be looking for the reaction of the blind man. Okay. Uh, maybe you are testing. Testing the blind man. Mm-hmm. If I knew the first time, you will see something. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to know, would you tell the truth? Would he tell the truth? What would his attitude be? Okay, could be that. Yeah, John. Uh, I think Jesus did it to tell me that healing sometimes takes time. Mm-hmm. And take time? And healing. Okay. Right. Indeed it can. Um, any other thoughts? He was also capable of showing his disciples exactly what they could and couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And he showed them how I can partially heal. Mm-hmm. How I can heal the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they must have thought, well, Hang on. <laughs> That's what Peter is all about. Yeah, yeah, we're <laughs> going to get to Peter in a minute, which is fascinating. Akin. Um, I, I don't know. The, the, the one's passion, you know, 
guy from Prussia would see that. I don't know if he was trying to make a point about um, you know, think that people will be, be seen partially, but those who yeah, take a lot of steps to be seen clearly. He tells the guy, you know, like if you ask the guy, do you see anything? And the guy says, yeah, he can see something, but it's not quite clear. And then he reveals it, then it's really clear. And then he goes on to the other topic. I don't know if there's a point he's trying to make here about you know, to see things partially and then they see them fully when they're talking to them. Mm -hmm. Seems to be something along those lines, huh? Um, I'm going to suggest, I think that's a very helpful point, I, I'm going to suggest, and I'm suggesting this as my interpretation, okay, so I could well be wrong because it's not explicit in the text, but knowing, knowing and seeing the way that Jesus is around his disciples and how he is fundamentally a, in his interactions with them, he is a rabbi, a teacher, like you say, I can only surmise that he's done this partial healing as a really creative teaching tool. Some teachers are really creative in the way that they teach things and help you to understand things. I think he's being here a very creative teacher and very precise. It's amazing to see that he's not just that he knows, okay, storm, calm, wind, stop, um, dead, raised. It's, hmm, blind man, I'm going to heal him to the precise point, the very precise point, and who knows exactly how this was done in this man's eyes, but to the precise point where he can see people that look as if, if trees could walk, that's how trees, that's how people would walk if they were trees. I, that, I'm gonna get that to that exact point and heal into that point. I mean, that is a very precise kind of miracle and teaching method. And then, then I'm gonna ask him and he's gonna say, well, I can see you know, people looking like trees walking around and I'm gonna finish it off. And then the disciples and I are gonna go off to this other place and have a chat. And I'm hoping that this is going to help them to understand what's going on here. They're going to come to a better insight. And it seems to me, I don't think Jesus is playing with the man. I mean, he's going to heal him and it's all going to be good. But he's using the opportunity in some way to, to help his disciples ultimately to fully understand, um, or at least not quite fully yet, but more fully understand what's, what's going on. Right. Maybe the first time you see me, you come and the second time you cut around. question. Why do you take the man outside the village? And why do you tell him not to go to the village? Go back 
So I'll give a short answer because we're going to finish earlier today. Normally I'd ask the group for the wisdom because there's plenty here, but I would suggest that it's partly to make sure there's not a show. I think somebody mentioned this. It's not a show that the people bring the blind man to Jesus and they ask him, they beg him, in fact, to, to heal him, which is lovely and uh, shows their compassion for him. Jesus wants to heal him, but he doesn't want to do, make it a show. So I think he takes it outside the village. Also because he's not staying here. He's moving on. He's ultimately moving on to Jerusalem. And we're going to see here in chapter 8, this, this is a hinge point in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus has been uh, focusing primarily on doing miracles and teaching and particularly in the north of the country. And now we're going to hear more and more about the cross and the costs and the suffering as he begins to move towards Jerusalem to the cross. So he doesn't want things to get in the way. Same thing with the disciples. Uh, he, could, he pulls them away so that he can just teach them and deal with them, and then they can move on together to ultimately the cross. So I think that's at least part of what's going on. Maybe not all of it, but something along those lines. Okay, we go come back to the story. <laughs> hey, I don't, I don't know about Bethsaida in the first century, but maybe, and uh, maybe, uh, it's entirely possible. There's all kinds of strange things going on uh, around Jesus, that's for sure. And so, let me make a, a few uh, comments and, and thoughts for us um, in terms of applying it to our own situation. It's really important, by the way, that as we do our own personal Bible study, we do try and get into the, into the story and not just look at it on the surface level, right? And it's too easy to do that, and it doesn't sustain us spiritually. It'll do when you're in a children's ministry or in a teen class, maybe. I don't know. Even our teens are pretty deep, so maybe not enough for you. But as we grow as Christians, we've got to get into that text and then think, okay, what does what might be the application for, for us today. And so a few thoughts. Um, we do have here a hinge, like I was mentioning earlier. We've got this, we're in Mark 8, it's, it's almost exactly halfway through the gospel, and we're sort of halfway through the story in a way. And from this point on, there's a lot more talk about persecution and opposition, and, and the cross is looming. And when you read what Jesus is talking about and his teaching, you'll see the cross and suffering mentioned more and more and more as we get into the second half of Mark's gospel. So we're having this uh, hinge point here. Um, we see this second touch, I think, is deliberate. And then we see Peter having that sort of second touch where the other disciples say, maybe John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets, who do you say I am? And Peter says, Messiah. So he's saying, okay, you, you might be a prophet type, you might be an Elijah type, but ultimately you are the king. And that's a whole different level. That's a whole different category. Messiah, essentially, to the Jewish mind in that day, meant king. You are the king, and we are, we are with you. So I suppose maybe they're princes, maybe, or something. I don't know quite how they were thinking of themselves. But they believe, or Peter sees this, uh, sees him as, as the king. And then, um, just have a look at verses 31 to 33, uh, which follow this, which we haven't read yet, but... We need to set it in this context, just after the end of that story. He then began to teach them in verse 31 that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law. He must be killed, and then three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and what does Peter do? Having just said, you are the Messiah, you are the King, he took him aside, another, another taking aside, and rebukes him. He rebukes Jesus. Now, that takes some guts, uh, shall we say. 
Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. He rebuked Peter. So, okay, he get, gets it back. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And so we have a blind man, partially sighted, then fully sighted. We have disciples that partially see, and Peter then kind of fully sees, Messiah, King, but he still hasn't really fully seen what Jesus is all about. So he's, Peter is wrestling, and this is what I think applies to me, and probably to all of us here today. Peter has an ongoing wrestling with really understanding the identity of Jesus and his purpose. His identity and ultimately you could say his activity or his destiny. His destiny was different to the destiny that Jesus wanted his Messiah to have. And Jesus said, no, that's not the right kind of Messiah. I'm not that kind of Messiah. I'm not just a miracle worker. I'm not just a prophet, but I'm not just the kind of king that you want me to be. And of course, in that day, the Jews wanted the Messiah or expected the Messiah to come back and do three things. Firstly, to rebuild and cleanse the temple. That was the first big thing. Rebuild the temple or, and or cleanse it, make it all that it's meant to be. Secondly, to defeat the enemies of Israel. Kick out whoever the enemies are, whether it's Greeks, Romans, in, in their history, whatever, uh, kick them out. And thirdly, to bring God's justice and healing to Israel and through Israel to the world. And then Israel, Israel would take its uh, deserved place in history and everything and that was their idea. And Jesus said, no, 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 I'm coming to die on a cross. And that just blew their minds. They were blinded to the, what that meant. And I think it's uh, the parallel, at least I think for us, is, is to be sure that we're continually discovering the full and true identity of Jesus and his purpose in this world, his purpose in a community of faith like this, and in our own lives. What's he trying to do? The question is not, do I believe Jesus is the Son of God? I hope we do, and maybe if we don't, then we can talk about that. But maybe there's, we've got an understanding of that level, or he went to the cross for me, or he died on the cross for sins. But what does that actually mean? What does it mean for my life the way I live? What does it mean to be a disciple of a king who goes to a cross? See, later on, in verse 34, he tells them this, and we'll just finish with this here. Before we take bread and wine, I think it really fits with communion here. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Take up their cross, follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And then let's do that first verse of chapter 9. And he said to them, so this fits with what he's just said, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. So Jesus is saying, yes, I'm the king and I'm going to the cross. You're my followers, so you're going to the equivalent of your cross too. Take up your cross, you're coming with me on a path of suffering. Now, this is not a very popular uh, 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 teaching. And, uh, you know, governments, if we go to the political sphere, don't tend to tell the, those who vote for them the truth a lot of the time, as in what things will cost. Yes, we promise you X number of new policemen, nurses, 
school pupil places, uh, transport things, and this, that, and the other. How much will it cost? Well, several uh, billions. Uh, who's going to pay for that? Well, d d just trust us on that. We'll get it done. And, and they don't like to talk about the cost, the real cost, to you and I, and frankly, to, um, to your generation, Mulligan and Kaiser. I mean, you guys are going to be paying for all this, I think. I'm really sorry about this, but uh, <laughs> I, I just think that's, that's, that's the way it is. And, uh, <laughs> but, but the true cost, Jesus lays it out. He doesn't say, oh, it's all going to be uh, little uh, dancing lambs and, and fun, you know, butterflies and, and eating um, McDonald's milkshakes and everything's going to be nice. <laughs> he, he's, he's saying, look, a, if you're following me, there is a cost. Now, the cost is set in the context of the coming of the kingdom of God. So it's not a hopeless suffering. It's a purposeful suffering. His suffering brings in the kingdom. The justice of God, not as envisaged by traditional Judaism of the time, but the justice of God that we then live differently, treat people as Christ does, with that respect and dignity to all people. As we try to bring healing in people for people where they need that healing, we pray with them, we talk, we listen, we spend time with people that others will spend time with. As we do that with each other, frankly, to create that healing community amongst ourselves, Listening, spending time together, not just uh, seeing each other on a Sunday, but communicating, talking, meeting up, and spending their time, which frankly sometimes causes suffering. I mean, it may not be the suffering of the cross exactly, but expending our time and energy for one another is costly, isn't it? It means we take time away from things that are more directly pleasurable, shall we say. And that's the calling because the kingdom is coming, has come, and is glorious. A little bit of shame, a little bit of discomfort in this life is well worth the glory and the honor that will be ours along with Jesus at the end of, at the end of this time. So I think we're a lot like, I'm a lot like, and perhaps we're a lot like the disciples who see Jesus, kind of know who he is, but sometimes don't embrace all of who he is. So my question for us, to, I'll leave you with this uh, for today, is what, what is it in the way that you are living or, or the way you're thinking about these things, what is it that will help you to be sure that you're growing in your understanding of Jesus, that you're understanding him better, his identity and his activity or his destiny and what that means for you? What helps you? That's one of the reasons I've gone back to London School of Theology to study this Master's in Theological Studies. Partly, it's to do with a number of reasons, but part of the reason is it makes me think differently about Jesus. I'm around people who think differently about Jesus. I'm around people who read different books to me about Jesus and about the kingdom. I'm listening to people who have different experiences of Jesus to me. And that's healthy. And so that's part of my solution to, to growing to understand Jesus better. You don't have to do what I'm doing, but I think we all should have our own self-motivated plan. How am I going to get to know Jesus better? His identity, his activity, his destiny, and what that means for me.